Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Lenny Sosa goes first pitch, hunting, and he falls one to left. Two nights in a row, a home run for Lenny Sosa. This is the first pitch to Yoan Moncada with two on. Two out in the third, he goes first pitch, swinging, and unloads to left. It's a three-run shot for Moncada. Left-hander Jordan Wicks is ready to make his big league debut. Undoubtedly, his 
nervous system has a few butterflies <laughs> flapping around inside of him right now. It would be abnormal if he did not, Ron. I would agree. Everybody goes through it. Your first pitch, you're swinging the bat in the big leagues. 2-2. Off-speed pitch, swung on and missed. Strike three. Looked like he doubled up on the change. And he gets a big strikeout. Maybe that'll settle him down. One away. Here's a line drive down the left field line. Base hit. Could be the backbreaker. One run is in. Bellinger around third, heading home. There's going to be a play on him. The throw to the plate. Offline. Cody slides in. A two-run double. Seiya Suzuki. Cubs lead 10-6. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. We get the whole theme now, not just the low brass. Good morning, everybody. It's the This Week in Baseball theme song, and here comes that low brass. Definitely at least one trombone, a bass trombone. It's pretty happening. Good morning, everybody. It's hit and run. This is my last full show of this baseball season on a Sunday morning. We'll be here next week, but the Cubs play on Peacock, which means it's an absurdly early pregame. What, 10.30 pregame? That is correct. Thank you, Sean Sears. So 10.30 pregame on the score next week means you get 90 rock-solid minutes from me. And then, as, as always is the case, evil football comes and bumps me from my Sunday morning perch. Actually, I, I was at the Bears game yesterday with my wife and my son and my nephew. How was that? And my brother-in-law. It was great. We yeah. had a blast. We had so much fun. It's like once you get inside Soldier Field, it's like, oh, look at this. This is nice. It's very, it's very comfortable. Good sight lines. Just getting there. I think we walked seven miles yesterday. Oh, to, I'm sure. Just to get there. So anyway, um, this narrative that I hate football is not is not real. Just as the narrative that my partner Danny Parkins hates baseball is not a hundred percent real. But here's sure the thing: <laughs> I am. Here's the thing, though. I do hate that football comes and bumps me on a Sunday morning. How dare you? How dare you be valuable programming Bears pregame? How dare you? So, as always, we rage against the dying of the light that is the baseball season. We do not go gentle into that good night of the football season. But here's the thing. When a team is relevant and in a pennant race, in a playoff push, well, well. Historically, we have found time in September for emergency or bonus hit and runs. You remember that? Sometimes I'll do a show on a Saturday afternoon. Sometimes uh, I'll do a show uh, leading up to a big Cubs game or... A post-post game? Might that happen? I'll talk to the boss. Talk to the boss tomorrow. I'm talking to him on the air right now. Hey, boss, I'd like to do some uh, stuff around big Cubs games in September because they are relevant and they are fun. They have won two of three so far in Pittsburgh. Finale of their four-game set today. We'll put it uh, at 12.35 for first pitch. So we're out of here at 11.50. That'll wrap up the 12-game stint against, quote, bad teams, unquote. And they have a chance to go 8-4. and four. They win today, they go 8-4. and four. I wanted 9-3, and three, uh, but 8-4 and four will do. Right now, as we look at the playoff standings, the Milwaukee Brewers refuse to lose. They have won seven games in a row. They are four games up in the National League Central. The Cubs are four games back 
of the Brewers. They are in an absolute dogfight for the wild card, and they have lots of ground to try and pick up against Milwaukee with two series remaining against them. One obviously starts tomorrow and another one at the end of the year that we all hope will be relevant for division standings. That would be very fun. But right now in the National League wild card race, the Phillies are the number one wild card at plus three and a half. They just finished off, or I guess it's still going, the most explosive offensive month in their franchise's history. I saw Sean put it on the, uh, on, on the Google Doc, on the shared document. The 47th home run of the month for Philadelphia. That's the most in a single month in team history. It's the 27th. You have four days left of this month if the math checks out. Anyway, the Phillies are number one in your National League wildcard race. The Cubs are the second wildcard right now, just a half game up on the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are a very interesting team, having fallen off for a while and then brought in some reinforcements who are helping to push them um, back into their winning ways. They've got a negative six run differential, and yet they're six games over 500. And right behind them are the Cincinnati Reds, a half game out of the last wild card. So the Cubs games against the Reds that remain are, are very impactful. Um, the Giants are a game and a half back of Arizona for the third wild card. And the Miami Marlins still capable of making a push at 500, three games back. And uh, so, look, lots of interesting, relevant baseball left. Uh, but I do want to say, just in case there's, there's folks who are here now and are not here later, thanks for being here all year. Uh, I'm having a blast with you, and we appreciate it. In fact, if you want to hop in, and get in with some phone calls. This is a good time to do it at 312-644-6767. Here's what's coming up on the show. Ryan McGuffey is on the show at 1140. And uh, that man, a, a fine co-host of the Sox Talk podcast, has been uh, all over Kenny and Rick's exit and everything that seems to be going on with the White Sox. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, will join us at 1040. And that'll be our final hit of the year with Chris Kampka. He is just an absolute joy, and he will give us relevant and interesting stats, interesting nuggets about both the Cubs and the White Sox, as he has done all season long. At 11 o'clock, we are live on the Marquee Sports Network, as we have been every Sunday morning here in August. We're live there for a half hour. As part of that half hour, we'll talk to Lance Brozdowski, who does a lot of things, the player development analyst over there. He's also part of the gambling cast that Danny Parkins and I do on Tuesday nights. Lance knows his stuff, so we will talk to him at 11 o'clock. And along the way, your phone calls and texts, not merely welcome, but elemental to the very completion of the broadcast as we broadcast live from the Scores Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. You can uh, dial it up and get involved at 312-644-6767. That's how you call. That's how you text. And the assistant producer is here and ready to do his job on his final work Sunday of uh, the baseball season. Sean, you'll be um, happy to know I asked him uh, uh, from 1 to 10 to rate his experience at work this summer in terms of fun. He gave it a 4. So <laughs> I told him, <laughs> I told him, a 4 is not bad. Like if, if all of us, if you can go to work and have a 4 experience and bring in the bacon. I'll take a 4 every now and then. You'll, huh? st- you'll start with a 4 
And I said, a four could grow into a six if you really like, like the people you're working with. I, he said, yeah. And a six could grow into an eight. I said, yeah, if you get real interested. He said, then that could grow into a 10. I said, no, I don't think a four can grow into a 10. But if you start a job at a six with something you really like, that could grow into a 10. That's my little bit of parenting wisdom applied to uh, my son, the assistant, uh, the assistant producer. I'm learning stuff, too, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. We'll talk about Jordan Wicks's debut, his electric debut, in a matter of moments on 670 The Score. Okay. Here's uh, five days left in August. Is it really? Today's the 27th, right? 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. He's right. That, that checks out. His math checks out. Do the Phillies play on every day? Do they have any off days? I'll check right Sean, now. that's really important, okay? It's really vital that we start off our Chicago baseball show by checking what the Phillies schedule is the rest of the month. Um, I have never seen anything. As I mentioned, we'll get to Jordan Wicks' electric debut in our next segment, okay? There's a lot to talk about there, and we'll certainly ask Lance Brzdowski about it at 11. But I've never seen anything like this White Sox season. And I feel like we said that last year, too. But seriously, what I've been calling the systematic removal of likability from from the entire organization all year long. It's just, how are you supposed to hang here as a White Sox fan? What are you supposed to do? I mean, it started with a... With an offseason where they didn't address some big needs and everybody came into the year, a lot of fans came in like, God, I, well, I, hope, I, I hope they're going to be good, I guess. There's a lot of talent there. Yeah, coach them up. Here we go. And then the horrific start, which just killed the competitive vibes immediately. Um, oh, also in there you had the signing of Mike Clevenger and all the baggage that that brought with it. And then along the way, just like little, little bits of drama. Even though Luis Robert has a total breakout and is one of the best players in baseball, um, you had... T.A. drama, um, ugliness on the field, uh, a lack of accountability continuing with certain players and with the manager, the the descent towards the trade deadline and the removal of likable players at the deadline. And then some of those players talking smack, Keenan Middleton telling you what's actually going on and what's been going on, standing by it. Yasmani Grandal coming out and telling you what he thinks happened. Um, then the brawl, the brawl in Cleveland, my goodness. And then the manager, along the way, in my opinion, losing a lot of credibility. Sadly, the manager, to me, has lost a lot of credibility along the way, saying that he let the players lead in spring training, and now he's going to start to lead. Now he's going to pick it up. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess, and, and you could argue that that's some of what's happening. I saw the headline from Scott Merkin's piece in MLB.com is, from their win last night is uh, Pedro Grafal building that culture towards what he wants it to be. And I, if, if they can they can play well and build something a little going into next year, that would be great. But anyway, just just and then and then the firings of Rick and Kenny. And oh, sorry, before the stadium story, the stadium story. They didn't leak it, but it a bit of journalism brought it out. They might be leaving you. What? Huh? Nashville, and you got to deal with that? And then where are they going? And then they fire Rick and Kenny on the week that season ticket renewal requests go out. I do believe these things are connected, people. The stadium story happens. Jerry had already decided to fire Rick and Kenny, and he does it like a day and a half after the stadium story breaks. 
on the week when the season ticket renewals went out, okay? And you had 14 hours of hope for a lot of White Sox fans. And at 8 o'clock the next morning, Bob Nightingale breaks that it is overwhelmingly likely to be Chris Getz and his old boss, Dayton Moore. And eventually, Bob comes on with me and Anthony Heron the other day and says that it's uh, a father-son relationship where Dayton Moore once hired Chris and they have a a loving father-son relationship, but that Chris will be the single decision maker um, and Dayton will work for him. So that sounds like a potentially another convoluted power structure, and it feels like shuffling deck chairs, even though you're bringing in a guy in Dayton Moore who's got a legit player development and scouting background, which has borne fruit in a couple of different places. So anyway, all that happens. And then there's a shooting in the stadium. My brother-in-law and my nephew were there the other night. He, he said that in the stadium it was a non-event, like you didn't know. It happened in the left field bleachers. And, you know, nobody realized what, what had happened. And there was a concert scheduled for after the, the game. Tone Loke, he gets paid to do the wild thing. Vanilla Ice was there. There was going to be, a, who was Rob Bass, I think. There was going to be a concert, and they had to cancel it. They said for technical reasons. But there's a story out this morning that says that, sadly, Sox Park had been declared a crime scene by the Chicago Police Department, and that meant you can't do anything. So they had to cancel the concert. And then you get, I mean, that's a, what an opportunity for people to say, you can't go to the Sox game, they'll be shooting. You might get shot, right? You know that's going to be everywhere. It's a national story. And talking heads are going to say, well, look at Chicago. It's worse than Afghanistan, worse than Iraq, like they have for decades. And I hate those talking points. Makes me crazy. And... And then you start thinking about, okay, well, do they have the right metal detectors? They have the old school metal detectors. At Wrigley and other places, they have the ones that scan for gunpowder and explosives. Was that the issue? But no, there was no gun there. There was no gun ever. There was no active shooter alert. What appears to have happened, and again, this is in a story this morning, the Chicago Police Department, their thinking is that it was a gun fired a mile away. Something called the shot spotter that the Chicago Police Department uses, and I I can share this story, um, that the the gunshot came from a mile away. There were three gunshots fired at 722 that the CPD shot spotter gunfire detector alerted. Nine rounds fired in a backyard in the 300 block of West 42nd place at 722. And then at 725, that's, where the, that's when the police uh, came out with a statement that the women were struck in the left field bleachers at guaranteed rate at 725. So what almost assuredly happened here is that somebody was at a backyard party or a few people and they shot guns into the air, celebrating, doing whatever. And folks, what goes up must come down. And the trajectory of it took it a mile away. And eventually it came down and it hit two women at Sox Park. That is the overwhelmingly likely story of what happened there. Nothing out of the ordinary at Sox Park. One, the second woman was barely grazed by the bullet. She refused medical attention. The first woman was hit in the leg and uh, went to the hospital and was in fair condition. 
So a gunshot wound to the leg, fair condition at the University of Chicago Medical Center. So that's bad luck. That's really bad luck for the organization. And it's just, it's, it's terrible luck. It's bad news. It will be spun in a million awful ways in coming weeks and coming days. It's, na- it's a national story. And it's just, it, it gets added to the pile of the unlikable things that have happened either by the White Sox or simply to the White Sox. There is news this morning from Bob Nightingale at USA Today. As I quote in his latest column, the White Sox are exploring the possibility of having a retractable roof stadium with their current lease expiring after the 2028 season at Guaranteed Rate Field. The White Sox are currently looking at three sites if they move out of Guaranteed Rate Field in South Chicago. Number one, the United Center area in the West Loop. I'm not sure how that would work with the removal of a lot of parking lots. Or are there other spaces and areas there that could be raised and developed? Maybe, but that's interesting. West Loop Stadium would be pretty cool. I've advocated, obviously, for what they missed out on in the late 80s, early 90s, the South Loop Stadium, which would still be south, but give them that downtown backdrop at any number of places. But anyway, here are the three spots. The United Center area in the West Loop, Soldier Field, which strikes me as a pipe dream, but there it is, and Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights. Wait a minute. Would that be sharing space with the Bears, trying to piggyback onto the Bears and have a football stadium next to a baseball stadium? Tell you what, that plot of land is certainly big enough. I don't know if Kevin Warren would at all be interested in sharing some of that space with the White Sox. They might be able to get some sweetheart deals together if they worked together. He'd have a partner in dealing with taxes and all the other issues that come with building a new stadium, but I don't know if the Bears want to share that space with anybody. It certainly wouldn't be a shared facility. Nobody does that anymore. But that's the news from Bob Nightingale. He continues, Moving into a remodeled soldier field where the Chicago Bears are expected to abandon could be a gold mine for the organization with the number of households and tourists in the area. I could see that, but the incredible difficulty of getting there would remain in terms of parking and walking. And also, uh, you'd have to, like, tear down that landmark and reconfigure it. You can't just put a baseball field in there as currently constructed. Those dimensions don't work. I was just there yesterday. What, are you going to recreate the polo grounds? Is that what you're going to do? Stick it in there. I don't fit. Straightaway center is 530 feet away. Don't hit it to the right or left. Left, well, no, no. Left field corner, uh, down the left field line, 240. 240 feet to each line. The polo grounds was not that extreme. For those who don't know, it was a polo field in New York where the New York Giants played. It literally was. And it was like a big oval. And they put a baseball stadium in there. That's where Bobby Thompson's shot that heard, shot heard around the world was in 1951. So, my goodness. I, I don't, that doesn't strike me as likely, nor does Arlington Heights strike me as, as, as likely, but maybe there's legs there with, with the Bears. That'll be interesting. And I was thinking the 78, which is the big plot of land south of the Roosevelt Street Bridge between Clark and Canal, and the river is there, but there's a lot of space there, and you could have a south branch 
river, south branch of the Chicago River Stadium where home runs would go into the river. And, and with boats going by, I, I think, I mean, for, for in a neighborhood that is moving forward explosively. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely go kayaking to go get some home run balls. Right? right? You go kayaking down the river during a ball game. That would be a thing, man. Oh, for sure. Especially that's, here. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, my, that's my new favorite possibility, but it's not even mentioned by Bob Nightingale. And he usually knows White Sox things, people. But if they sell the team, then all bets are off. And I think that they're going my, – my gut is that they're going to sell that team before they make a deal on a new stadium. I could be wrong on that. It depends on the health of the chairman. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll be appetizing as a sales entity whether they have a new deal in place or not, frankly. They'll be appetizing in both ways. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, look, that's the news. And that's a lot of news. We got a lot of stuff going on here. Ryan McGuffey from the Sox Talk podcast will join us at 940. Got a moment or two to squeeze in your phone calls if you want to hop in on this stuff. Lord knows there's enough to talk about, enough things to chew on there. When we come back, we will mix in the electric debut of the number 10 prospect in the Cubs system who came up finally to make a start instead of Drew Smiley. Jordan Wicks was phenomenal. We discuss next on 670 The Score. We're back with more Hit and Run. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. On 670 The Score. No crying. Swing and a miss. That change again. It's his bread and butter pitch. It's been his bread and butter pitch since he was at Kansas State. You can see why. You see the grip. Circle change up, and that thumb and index finger are really tightly together. So he's got tremendous arm speed on that pitch. That was the Fox broadcast with the phenomenal Tom Verducci there. Tom has really grown into, I think, the best analyst who's ever, like, been a writer. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's not a player. He's not a coach, not a manager, he's not a GM. He's a sports writer who grew and grew and grew and now is a media um, maven, obviously, with Fox and with other things. But, man, when I grew up, I was reading Tom Verducci in Sports Illustrated, where he still writes. And his long-form stuff was incredible. And then there's been a ton of books that he's been a part of. The, uh, The Cubs Way that he wrote about the beginnings of Theo and Jed's rebuild and that five-year process is one of the one of the best baseball books out there. But um, w- more on Verducci talking about the circle changeup of Jordan Wicks in a moment. But how about Jordan Wicks, ladies and gentlemen? Last night he gives up at the very beginning of the game a home run to Cabrian Hayes on the second pitch. His first pitch was just off the outside corner. Thought he could have gotten a call. He didn't. So he came back in trying to establish the fastball inside. Home run. Good night, everybody. Then Brian Reynolds singles hard up the middle. Then Andrew McCutcheon walks. And then Connor Joe is ahead 2-0. and And then there was the greatest mound visit in the history of mound visits by Tommy Hadovy. What did he say? What did he say? We had to guess at what he said for a while. And David Ross talked on the broadcast in the third inning and mentioned that 
he was the one who kind of suggested to Tommy what he could go out and say to him. And they talked about, hey, why don't you throw more off-speed pitches? That's, you're really good at that. The changeup. The curveball. Why don't you throw that some more? And immediately he struck out Connor Joe on really good junk at the bottom of the zone. Instead of the fastball on the corners trying to spot it and establish, he started throwing his junk at the bottom of the zone. And everybody was like, ooh, that looks good. Oh, it's not good. Oh, it looks good. I'm going to swing. Oh, yeah, it's gone. So it, it was really, really good. Here's David Ross um, talking about Jordan Wicks, who then struck out nine. He got 15 in a row out. Retired 15 in a row after the start I just described. Incredible debut for a first-round lefty from two years ago that they knew would be close. Like that, he, he had uh, immediate proximity to the big leagues upon drafting. That's one of the things they liked about him. And here he is two years later helping them out in a pennant race. Here's David Ross after the game um, with the question on, on whether he was worried about Jordan Wicks spiraling in that first inning. No, we don't have it, Sean? Okay, that's okay. We got. We have any of the other ones? That's fine. Okay, well, well, all right. Here's Tom Verducci, who I mentioned, talking about Jordan Wicks's changeup and just how good it is and, you know, whether his career is going to be defined by having the changeup that good or whether he's going to need to do more with the fastball or other pitches. Here's Verducci. And Kevin, I, I think that changeup is so good. I don't think, you know, that with exposure, in other words, the more hitters see it, the more they'll be onto it. You know, it's it's a Johan Santana type changeup where you can sit on it, know it's coming, and it's just still hard to pick up. And it was, I think, even more impressive. The two strikeouts he got on called sinkers in the zone. When you could tell Pirates hitters at that point were sitting on his changeup. And got fastball for strike three. Just shows you his ability to command the strike zone with all of his pitches, but also his IQ. Man. That is pitching porn right there, folks. Couple things. Obviously, Johan Santana's circle change is the standard bearer for a left-handed pitcher's changeup in recent memory. I mean, goodness. And Verducci just comped Jordan Wicks's changeup to Johan Santana's that it might be good enough throughout his career because the arm speed is so good. Hitters are picking up the arm speed and saying, that's a fastball, that's a fastball. Oh, damn it, it's a changeup. And then, as he says in the second half there, once they're sitting changeup, he throws that sinker, that sinking fastball, a hell of a lot faster and spots it perfectly on the low and outside corner of the zone and freezes them for a called strike three. So Verducci's saying that shows the IQ and that shows his ability to, to command all his pitches. Goodness. I'm not saying that Jordan Wicks may have a career almost as good as Johan Santana's, but Tom Verducci just put it on the table, just said it was possible. Hot damn. That's, that, that's heavy stuff. So, look, we're hoping that um, we are going to talk to Jordan Wicks this morning. It's funny. I almost included him in a trade. Remember that? I almost included him in a trade. I was willing to trade Jordan Wicks um, to the Cardinals maybe for Jordan Hicks, but only if they threw in um, the outfielder. What's his name? The good Jordan. Uh, the, the, the good outfielder. 
Jordan Walker? Jordan Walker. So Jordan Wicks for Jordan Hicks, but they had to give us Jordan Walker. But that wouldn't be enough, so then I thought we could throw in Jordan and Wogu from the minor league system. Were there two more Jordans I came up with? I think so. We had a, we had a big pile of Jordans. Oh, yeah, Jordan, uh, uh, the, the lefty pitcher who, who did get, get traded from the Cardinals. The lefty uh, starter. Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery. We had him involved, and then there was a third Cubs Jordan. This is the important stuff, folks. I forget who our third Cubs Jordan. Was it Jordan? It wasn't DJ Hers. I want to say it was like a Levi Jordan or something uh, Yeah, like it that. was. It was a Levi Jordan lowering the system. We had a, a six-Jordan trade that we had worked out. Um, we should bring that up to Jordan uh, Wicks if we get a chance to talk to him. Here's David Ross with the reporter asking the question on if he was worried that Jordan Wicks was going to melt down there in the first. Does it say about him that he didn't let that first inning spiral after? Yeah, I don't think, you know, I, we wouldn't be up here if we thought he were, wasn't ready for the moment, right? And that's what that entails is, like, just knowing belief in yourself, being confident in yourself, and knowing what you can do on that stage. Uh, he never wavered. Um, again, nice visit from Tommy, getting reset, and um, did a really, really nice job of just settling in. Him and Miggy. Um, I thought he, they had, he had those guys in the rocket. I love his pace. Uh, there's a lot, lot to like about uh, that outing. Yeah, it's, it's cool. He loves the pace. He, he likes the outing, and here he is. And he will start again on his 24th birthday against the Cincinnati Reds, I would, uh, I would assume. Um, lots to talk about with Jordan Wicks. Let's quickly take a phone call. Paul is in Indiana, wants to get in on 670 the score. Good morning, Paul. Hey, Matt, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, Wix is a perfect uh, kind of lead way to what I was thinking is, you know, Wisniewski looks like, he, you know, maybe next year, maybe the, down the line, uh, I know he was promising to start the season, but, you know, I think he needs to go back to the minors. I mean, you see Wix's success. Um, is there some guys, and maybe this is a great question for Lance when he comes on, that, I mean, is Keegan Thompson ready to, you know, after they work him back into the majors, is he ready? Is his stuff back to where it was, where he can be high leverage? Uh, is there guys Luke Little? Is Ben Brown close to coming back off the IL where they can bring some more guys from the minors? Because obviously with Fulmer maybe looking out for the year, there's you know some things in that bullpen, and I know a lot of the guys have tallied up big uh, big appearances. Although the Brewers have got a lot of guys that, with all their close games have a lot of guys that logged a ton of innings. I guess my point is Wesnewski and Palencia don't look like they're high leverage right now or even medium leverage. Can we look at some guys from the minors and are some guys close to doing something maybe not on the same level as Wicks? Yeah, it's, it's good stuff there, Paul. Thank you. We'll certainly talk about some of that stuff with Lance. Michael Fulmer is hurt. The right forearm strain is a uh, brutal thing to happen to the high leverage bullpen. Fulmer has found it and has been really good. Um, Keegan Thompson is a bulk reliever, is a long uh, stint reliever. That's when he's been his best. If I were the Cubs, that's what I would do. Attempts to use him in high leverage have not gone well. And frankly, there's been some sweat and anxiety all over the face of Keegan Thompson in some of those big moments that I never thought was going to be there. I, I would not put him back in that spot. Uh, I agree with you about Palencia, too. does not look necessarily ready. And Wesneski's issues are, 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 are quite um, clear and need to be discussed. So we've got, uh, we've got Ross talking about Wesneski. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Uh, I want to break and bring in our, our guy Ryan McGuffey. But, yeah, there, there, there's some bullpen switcheroos that definitely will need to happen. And Ben Brown in the bullpen was discussed. And as soon as he comes back, I would not be surprised at all to see him given a shot in September as a call-up uh, bullpen piece. So that's my leader in the clubhouse is as soon as he's back, 
that he is uh, thrust into a bullpen role, um, certainly a starter down the road, but a bullpen role in September as a call-up. If, if, if Ben Brown and Pete Crow Armstrong are your two September call-ups to go from 26 to 28, and Pete Crow Armstrong playing some corner outfield in the minors this week, folks, he's a center fielder, but so is Cody Bellinger and so is Mike Talkman. How about Pete Crow Armstrong in left one, one night when Ian Happ is a DH? Or Pete Crow Armstrong in right? Or maybe Talkman in right? You got options. Be but still my heart, man. That, come on, dude. That corner outfield usage is no coincidence. Oh, no, for sure. Okay. He's def- he, hadn't played, he hadn't played the corners until he got to AAA. Until he got to AAA. And now here he is, closest to the bigs and playing the corners. We will discuss. Ryan McGuffey from the Sox Talk podcast joins us next. It's Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. And going to the burger trade, the last thing I'll say, Pods, if Kenny could identify that stuff, mm-hmm. you never pick Jake Berger to trade because take the power away. He's only one of two guys that can hit the damn ball out of the ballpark. Good in the clubhouse. This was a Awesome fresh. in the clubhouse. Awesome with the fan base. Awesome story. And you don't keep guys because they're awesome stories. The guy played 170 games, period. He's played 170 games in his flipping career. You have him under control through 2029. Rick Hahn didn't want to trade him. Yeah, but Kenny ended up making the deal. And the thing and is, now you got a guy. You got it's unfair to Jake Eater who has to come yes. up and has to be in the rotation now to, to make a trade good or even explainable. And you have two guys running separate paths. You're trading guys in the club. That trade not only hurt your roster and the fan base. It is another message to the guys who you're going to rely on for the next two or three years. You broke up those guys too. They're going, what the hell's going on? Because you heard it, I heard it, and I'm just telling you, this is the chaos that was going on behind closed doors. And this is just a small peak of what the last 11 to 12 years has been. Boy, that's good stuff. It's Ryan McGuffey on the Sox Talk podcast with Chuck Garfine. I think Ozzy and Pods were sitting there. Those guys have been doing a great job uh, for several years, and certainly this year in a tumultuous season. And Ryan McGuffey joins us right now on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Guff, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Speaks, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm okay, man. I'm okay. It, it's crazy how much has happened since that. When was that, Tuesday? That podcast, Tuesday night? <laughs> It was Tuesday night, yeah. But you're not, you're not kidding, man. This is I can't remember if you would have written a script that said here's the, this weekend of the White Sox. I, there's no one that would believe it. No, no, really. It, it, it and I mean, I called it like the systematic removal of likability that has gone on all year, all season. It's it's tough out there for Sox fans uh, right now. Uh, are are you finding that as well? That some struggling fans in terms of their mindsets. Oh my God! Absolutely. I mean, I I love the way you labeled it because I just I, I you know I've done a lot of reflection of like how did we get here, and you go back to 2020. Obviously, the pandemic. We were going through such a different life back then. We were look, using baseball as our crutch, any pro sports as our crutch. But they were so fun. They were likable. They liked each other. They rooted for each other. They picked each other up. They had a manager that they played for. Intent and. How the hell did it happen? Like, what happened? And, you know, there's the, the book will be great at some point, but you can start putting two and two and two and two together, and you find out how we got here pretty quick. It's just, I don't, I can't remember a, a fall of likability as fast as the White Sox. So, so, Guff, the, what you detailed there in the, with the burger trade is one example 
of what was clearly some dysfunction with the two-boss system and um, just the way that the, the front office was working. And, I mean, that, that has been a part of this that, that kind of got buried fast. We had like a day and a half of some stories coming out about that, but because everything has moved on with the likelihood of Getz and Dayton Moore and everything else and the stadium, it, it's like it, we're not even uh, – but still, I've heard stuff too. Like there was a lot going on that dovetails with some of what we had thought was going on in terms of egos – Kenny awkwardly muscling up as he did publicly. He apparently did that privately too, and once to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's what it is. Speaks to me. It's just a tale of ego and envy, just always rearing its. It's like a, it was like a disease, and for whatever, like if Kenny wanted to be that involved, okay, like if he did not want to oversee an entire baseball department that includes the GM and baseball development and scouts, et cetera, et cetera. And he wanted to be the guy who made trades rather than have input. It's different to have input and say, Hey, Kim. Yeah, we like Jake, but let me get my general manager on the phone as well. Or let me get him in the room and let's discuss this together, not go rogue because you have this, this, fire inside of you that oh it's the trade deadline and i love this time of year no and that just reared its ugly head time and time and time and time again and you know it's sad i mean you see all of these guys there's 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 plenty of i mean we had theo and jed and everyone at the time knew jed was kind of being groomed and that but they were a collaborative group you don't hear all of these stories coming out five, six, seven years after the Cubs won in 2023 about dysfunction within the Cubs or six guys on different, you know, or two or three guys running different wavelengths on the, trying to make the same path work. No. And we heard this going back as far as six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Hmm. And the problem is now you're talking about since the rebuild presentation of 2016 or 2015. 20, I guess the 2016 offseason, and since the 2020 season, basically since the the hiring of La Russa, just it was kind of like everyone trying to say that their chess piece was bigger and better, and you know the dominoes fell pretty quick. You know, it 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 goes back even further, right, with Kenny, and I know Kenny Kenny's done a lot of good things, obviously in his career, absolutely, and, absolutely. and but but in terms of what we're talking about. I mean, God, because he would do it publicly. It's like, uh, uh, all of a sudden, nobody's talking, and then, you know, well, there's Kenny on a golf cart, and he talks, and it muddies the waters. And the fact that that stuff was happening privately is just so disappointing. It's so human, but so disappointing. Guff, when I started with Danny Mack in 2009, for those three years, Ozzie Guillen's tussle with Kenny Williams was the number one story in White Sox land. Like yeah. Kenny, Kenny overruling Ozzy, and I remember one time I asked a question in an interview um, it, about whether I asked I asked a question in an interview about whether Kenny had ever allowed his personal bias or his ego to overrule Ozzy on a roster move or something like that, 
And I remember getting five texts from people who would know, some in the organization, some who covered, saying, that's the right question. That's the right question. So Kenny has always done this with Ozzy when he was the manager and he was the GM, and obviously with Rick when he's the GM and Kenny was the boss. That's Kenny. You could go back as far as 2005, after the 2005 season. I mean, stay out of White Sox. Stay out of White Sox business was a line to Frank Thomas because Frank had signed with the A's and there was this media tussle going on back and forth. And here you have Kenny telling the greatest player in franchise history to stay out of White Sox business. So it, 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 it could go back as far as <laughs> it's 2005, 2006. So, I mean, the thing, like you mentioned the, the, the story with me that I got, I let it get out there earlier this, this week why why is Kenny bothered by something I do you know what the clip that he was bothered by speaks No it was I, that I don't I had the I had the audacity to say that the general manager of the Chicago White Sox was in control of roster construction That's it That is it That's the personal shot that I took that I'll be damned if 30 GMs in baseball who get to make trades and do their and, and uh, can find their rosters Kenny got mad because somebody sent him a clip that, that Cap and I were going back and forth, and Cap said something along the lines of, I believe Kenny's still involved. And I said, well, Rick's the GM. Rick is in, in charge of roster construction. That's it. He felt the need to get involved and let me know that he's still here and that if I have any questions about it, he's still effing here. And, and, and I thought that was laughable. That, I mean, that's how I handled it because I'm like, wait a minute. You are bothered to the 10th degree here of layers of people. I mean, think about the clip that, like, I didn't make a personal jab at him. I never personal. I usually state facts or when you're bad, you're bad, you're good, you're good. And that's, that's, what, that's what he called me on the carpet for. Wow. Guff, I didn't realize it was that simple. Because yeah, that, simple. that conversation of who was actually in charge happened Every day on every medium. And, and he felt the need. So he respected you guys enough on some level, knew that people were listening. He wanted to make sure that everyone knew he was still in charge. And he called and left you that voicemail, right? Oh, no, it wasn't a voicemail. I was on the phone. Oh, I was on the phone. And it, took, it, was all about, it was all of a 15 to 20 second conversation. And it took me about 12 to 13 seconds to realize this was serious. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Hey, <laughs> Kenny Williams is on my phone. Oh, hey, Ken. Oh, you heard that? <laughs> I thought he was airing somebody else on, and I just happened to be on speakerphone. I was like, what, what, what is going on here? Wow. And he, and, and, he, and he said, I'm still effing here. That is verbatim direct quote. Man, that, that is verbatim direct quote. And if I had any questions going further, he would still be there. That's why I was so surprised. And I think all of us are the same tone. I, you knew that some type of change was inevitable, but to see Kenny, to, to see Kenny and Rick go together, I thought that was something that we might not see. I I, I did not see a scenario. I actually did not see a scenario of Kenny getting fired. Maybe Kenny walks on his own, but to get actually axed, uh, that was the that was the real surprise on Tuesday. Absolutely, because Guff, I have thought for years and years now 
that the dominant baseball voice in the ear of Jerry Reinsdorf that he trusted was Kenny Williams. That 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 that, 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 that was the guy. And as soon as that news broke, I mean, I was on that night with Lawrence Holmes doing an emergency show, and I was trying to figure out, I wonder who's in Jerry's ear now. And my guess was the Suns. That was my guess at the time. In the, in the, in the 14 hours of hope, I, my, my guess was that the Suns were in his ear, and maybe that this was tied somehow to the potential sale. And then it comes out the next day that Tony LaRussa is back as an advisor and LaRussa and Reinsdorf met with Pedro Grafal. Is there any doubt now that the dominant baseball voice in Jerry's ear is once again Tony LaRussa? Yeah, I mean, I do. I can't, I can't tell you that, uh, you know, Tony is not on the payroll as a consultant. So we do know that, like, Jerry's best friend is Tony LaRussa. I mean, that is not a we're – not, we're not breaking any news here, but – he does, yeah. I mean, let's like, why is that happening? Now, why is why is the manager going to dinner with the former manager that arguably created? And and look, Tony gets lumped, and I've been hard on Tony. I just think the hiring of Tony created the tsunami. Oh, absolutely. I I I, I, I so, completely agree. Like, it just it, it definitely was a big component in it. But in terms of yeah. where we are right now, I'm trying to figure out. Is it has it been Tony Larusa as the puppet master in in the moves here because he loves Dayton more and he thinks a lot of Chris Getz apparently, and is, is there any revenge component since since Rick and Kenny did not like him being hired or at least Rick didn't? That'd be ugly, you know. I mean, I can't I, I, until we actually see the, the press release or the press conference that 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 announces what we you know. I think certainly, I think there's more than a strong chance that that report is going to be right. Uh, it's hard I, to, to, to think that there would be that kind of uh, revenge, you know, that, that could, that could actually end up quote unquote winning in the end um, is just as ugly as all the stuff before it to me. And it's it just, it's, it's just another chapter in a lengthy novel of, you know, and I, and I said this on the podcast the other day. You know, the White Sox forever will be on the podium as the number one example as to how not to do a rebuild effectively. And if you are a GM presenting this to your president of baseball ops or ownership going forward, that you would like to tear it down to the studs, if I'm an owner of your team, I'm going to ask you, why won't we be the White Sox? Rather than, oh, this sounds great. There are examples of the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs and the Kansas City Royals and the Baltimore Orioles. I'm going to go, okay, this all sounds great. It's going to be a hard three, four years. But it was that way in Chicago, and it's even harder now than it was before. Wow. You're, you're so right, because there have been people against the idea of a rebuild for years, and it's easy. it's been easy to say, well, look, it worked here, it worked there, it worked here. Here it didn't work. And you, you know what I think it is, Guff. My answer, if I'm a baseball boss and my owner comes to me and says, why won't we be the White Sox? I'll say, because you, Mr. Owner, are going to pour a ton of money and resources into scouting and development and, and drafting. And we're going to get great at that. That is the number one thing we're going to get great at. Because at the end of a rebuild, the product on the field is a product of how well you scout and draft and develop. That's why the Rays, in a in an eternal rebuild, a constant rebuild, are what they are every single year. Agreed. And I'd also add, 
that you're going to tell your owner because we're going to spend on the best players in the game once they become available. Oh, uh, yes. To add to add to this development that we brought in. That's because I will die on this hill that Rick, even though he did have faults, I'm not sitting here saying he was perfect by any means, right? I mean, he's out of a job, but he never got to do it the way he presented it. That's a fact. He never got to finish it off with the nine-figure deal or deals. And look, his, his the guy ahead of him was allowed to go rogue with two teams. I mean, he yep. was allowed to make trades with two teams without – Really, necessarily needing his input. You're so, right. You're right. They tried. They tried to get by with the medium range guys like Grandal and Keuchel, and now Benintendi, yep. as opposed to uh, getting Machado for 300 mil. Um, they tried to get him for 250. Uh, with no leadership, with lack, with, with, with without identifying at, at any point who could actually be the alpha in that clubhouse when it came time to step up. Yeah. And if you're going to hire Tony which that's fun. If you're going to hire Tony, you better have a couple alphas in that clubhouse to make sure when push comes to shove, you have the guys, in the, the 26 guys in that room are strong enough to withstand a five-game losing streak, a time where the rules are forgotten, a time where a, guy, a pitcher is on second base in an extra inning, or a time when you win five, six, seven in a row, and a time when you win six, or lose six, seven, and win six, seven. And they never had that. And that's what happened. That's the final piece of the puzzle is that they identified their guys, they signed the guys we know to long-term deals, and that was that's, they, they, they self-anointed those guys as the leaders, and not one of them were capable of doing it. There's, um, I don't think there's anybody I like talking White Sox more with than you, man. Um, just just hey, great, great stuff, and uh, have a wonderful day. Enjoy your son's first football game of the year. As a uh, as an emblem of uh, the pending end to the White Sox season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Meeks. All right, Guff. Have a great day, man. That's Ryan McGuffey from the Sox Talk podcast. Um, he's the best. You are listening to six seventy. The score. That's what you're listening to right now. In fact. You're listening to Sports Radio 670 The Score, WSCR HD Chicago, WBMX HD2 Chicago, an Odyssey station. Should we take a break, Sean Sears? We will. Um, lots of Cubs uh, most of the rest of the show. Uh, there is some time for your phone calls this hour if you want to hop in. I thought that was incredibly compelling stuff. The White Sox have devolved into succession. They really have. This after the Bears had devolved into succession. Uh, I mean, my God. What are we doing here? It's hit and run. Uh, we'll talk to Chris Kampka in about 40 minutes and Lance Brzdowski from Marquee in an hour on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.